The Athletic Podcast Network is supported by the Quip Electric Toothbrush, the Tesla of toothbrushes. Most people's oral care habits could be better. We often brush for less than two minutes and use old, worn-out bristles. Quip makes having a fresh, healthy mouth easy and convenient. Their electric toothbrush pulses every 30 seconds, so you clean your mouth evenly, and they deliver brush head refills every three months, like dentists recommend. Get your first refill free at getquip.com listen. That's getquip.com slash listen. We now know when to expect Shohei Otani to show up on a mound. We have no idea who might be the ace second baseman, and we'll consider a conundrum involving lopsided splits. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had the three cold brews yet. Got ahead of me on uh, my, my caffeine question, so glad, glad to know that there's been uh, some caffeination in your life. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, February 12th. Al Melker here with Derek Van Riper. Well, we do have some pretty impactful news here. A report from Jeff Fletcher of the Orange County Register. He uh, tweeted that the Angels are targeting mid-May for Shoei Otani to start pitching. And as expected, he's going to be able to DH right from the get-go, right from opening day. But uh, you've got them. Of course, you've got your rankings, DVR. You've got your hitter rankings, your pitcher rankings. You've got Otani ranked 80th overall among hitters, 36th among starting pitchers. Obviously, this isn't, I would assume this doesn't affect your rankings for Otani as a hitter. But do you still see him as a top 40 starting pitcher given that he's going to miss a quarter of the season entirely as a pitcher and figuring he's probably going to be going every sixth day as it is? Does that change anything? Yeah, it does. I need to bring him down a bit. He probably falls just outside the top 50. And I know Eno Saras had a piece in our draft kit about the importance of the type of league you play in and how that shapes Otani's value. Uh, but thinking about him in leagues where you got to make weekly decisions, I think it actually raises his value as a hitter because he's going to have some rehab days where he has to go and start getting stretched out. But I get the sense that he's going to DH four or five times a week, if not five or six, depending on how many games the Angels have as he's getting ramped up. You know, like why not have his bat in the lineup as much as possible? And we've talked about him a few different times as a guy that has legitimate, maybe first or second round skills as a hitter. I mean, if the Angels ever stopped and said, hey, the two way player thing was fun, but it's not working out, we're going to make you an everyday outfielder instead. We're talking about a guy that'd be a threat to hit 30 home runs and steal 20 bases and doing that with a good batting average, too. So uh, I think Otani as a hitter is a tick more valuable, but the ding to his pitching value is pretty significant. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I didn't think about that angle of getting him more plate appearances. So, you know, depending, like you said, depending on what your format is, it, uh, you know, could change his overall value. So that's uh, do, you, do you have a preference in terms of having one Otani or two? I like a more of one player. It, it just seems so strange to take any player and turn them into two different players in the pool. I know leagues are all still kind of all over the road with how they're going to go about this. And there are more players coming down the pike who could fit this description. I mean, he's got a teammate, Jared Walsh, who's a two-way player, Brendan McKay in Tampa Bay. Um, hopefully, you know, by the time more players start hitting the big leagues who can do this, we'll have a better plan or a more universal plan in place for how to handle them in fantasy leagues. Uh, well, let's stick in the uh, AL West here because there were some developments, as I mentioned just a little bit uh, a while ago, involving Jason Kipnis. 
And this one really surprised me. There was a report uh, earlier on Wednesday that the A's were interested in Kipnis, and they've just got such a backlog of players who can play second base. And I think they're all intriguing in their own way. So this is one of these headlines, DVR, where I just I kind of slapped my head and just thought, no, because you know, what if I want to draft Jorge Mateo or Sheldon Noisy or, or you know, Franklin Barreto, Tony Kemp's in that mix too. And they each have their appeal in different types of formats. But as it turns out, later on Wednesday, Kip side with the Cubs. So that creates a whole different sort of headache uh, because now uh, it certainly brings into question whether or not Nico Horner is going to be the open opening day second baseman. So let's start with the Cubs, but then I definitely want to move on to the A's situation because, like I said, there's just so many interesting players involved in that second base mix. But does this change your assessment of Horner? Were you expecting him to maybe spend some time in AAA anyway? Yeah, I thought it was possible that Horner was going to go down to AAA even if they didn't add somebody else to the second base mix. Uh, I mean, they can move David Bodie around. Uh, Ian Happ, who's kind of lined to play on the center field, could also play some second base. They've got Robel Garcia as an option. They've got Daniel Descalso as an option. So they have enough players to have a stopgap even without a guy like Kipnis. Horner also was called up by necessity down the stretch last year. I mean, they had multiple injuries up the middle. He skipped AAA entirely, only played 70 games at AA. He held his own during his time in the big leagues, but from a development standpoint, I think giving him a month, possibly two at AAA, actually makes sense. They're trying to see if this guy can tap into some more power uh, and making sure that he's in the lineup each and every day uh, is something that would probably be a top priority for his development. So I do see Nico Horner still having a path to maybe be a fixture for the Cubs by the time the second half rolls around, but this does hurt his redraft value with Kipnis landing in Chicago. I guess maybe more as if I were a Cubs fan or if I had Horner in a, in a dynasty format. I would totally agree with your assessment. Time in the minors would be good for him. I mean, for one thing, he's just not had that much time in the minor leagues, none at all at AAA. And offhand, this is this is a nerd question incoming. Do you, do you know roughly what his swing rate was on out-of-zone pitches with the Cubs here? <sighs> I can't even fancy a guess. I mean, he doesn't strike out that much, so I would generally assume it was low. But how how did it turn out? Forty eight point six percent, almost every wow. other pitch that was outside of the strike zone, he chased it. Weird. He struck out eleven times <laughs> in eighty two plate appearances. Yeah. So uh, let me see. Yeah. Well, his contact rate on those pitches was actually really good, almost seventy five percent. So maybe there was something to that approach. But that that's just to me that's terrifying. I mean, Eddie Rosario looks at that stat and is like. Man, you got to be more choosy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's still a lot to like there. If he becomes more selective, already has good bat-to-ball skills, and if the power is still developing, maybe there's a chance he puts it all together at some point. Again, time in the upper levels of the minor leagues, not the worst thing in the world for yeah, Horner at no, this point. 100% agree with you on that one. All right, well, let's pivot back over to the Oakland second-base situation. So I rattled off some names of players, at least. We don't add Kipnis to that list, but Tony Kemp, Franklin Barreto, Jorge Mateo, Sheldon Noisy. Uh, I don't think I've forgotten anybody that's likely to figure in there, but uh, do you have a favorite, somebody that you're you're rooting for? I think Barreto is my clubhouse favorite. Barreto versus Mateo is where I get the most tripped up. Um, the main reason for that is that both of those players are out of minor league options. Tony Kemp's out of minor league options as well. Sheldon Noisy still has, I think, three option years left. So if the crowd remains in place, 
as we get closer to opening day, sending Sheldon Noisy down because they can do that without exposing him to waivers makes a lot of sense. Now, I think Mateo's more likely to stick on the roster to begin the season uh, than Noisy because you can actually play Mateo at shortstop if anything happens to Marcus Simeon. So that extra versatility, having him available off the bench is nice. Uh, the interesting thing here is that Tony Kemp is the only lefty of the bunch, but he's also out of options. So I think maybe Kemp hangs around as the left-handed bench guy, Mateo is the right-handed bench guy, and Barreto gets the first chance to start. I think the question with Franklin Barreto comes down to how much do we trust him to kind of carry over some of the success he's had at AAA uh, in the last couple of years because his sporadic playing time with Oakland has been ugly. I mean, he's got a 40% strikeout rate in 209 plate appearances with the A's, but those have been very broken up stretches of playing time. He's made progress at AAA. He was 15 for 16 as a base dealer in 98 games on top of hitting 19 homers, hitting 295 with a 374 OBP. So he was ticking a lot of boxes, 21% better than league average last year and 25% better than league average at AAA in 2018. There's really nothing left for Barreto to prove in the minors anyway. So I think the A's are really going to see if they've got something there from the Josh Donaldson trade that they can feel good about. All right. And just to clarify, so, you know, you said that Barreto is the leader in the clubhouse for you. That's in terms of your preference, or do you think he actually gets the first crack? That's just kind of how I expect them to go about it. I think, again, they've invested so much in him because he was the centerpiece of that Josh Donaldson trade. They might be willing to cut their losses fairly soon, but I just think they want to give him that look. And I think Mateo's extra defensive versatility, having some experience in center field a few years ago, makes him just a little bit better suited for a bench role to begin the season. Yeah. And of course, I'd, I'd love to see Noisy get a crack at it. I don't really see how he makes that happen unless maybe Barreto just has a horrible spring. But Noisy had such a nice breakout in the Pacific Coast League in 2019 just showing power like he hadn't previously in his career. And it was uh, like to have him get a, a real opportunity to see if he can make that play out at the major league level. But I'm with you. I don't really expect the, the A's to go that route, but it'll be, a I think, one of the more fun position battles to be tracking over the course of spring training. Uh, so something else that this doesn't really per, pertain so much to spring training, DVR, really more, I guess, to in-season management, but I do find it to be an inter interesting question. That is how you deal with players who have lopsided splits. And as I'm thinking out loud here, I mean, it isn't really just an in-season management thing because I think it can affect how you value a player for drafts. And for example, we've had to deal with this with Rockies hitters for a long time. I remember, you know, several years ago, back when I was on the CBS podcast and we had discussions about Carlos Gonzalez, and this is when he was at the top of his game, but his road splits were so terrible that, you know, we had debates over, can you bench cargo when the Rockies are on the road? I think you could have that debate now in regards to Charlie Blackman. And there's also players, uh, just one example that uh, I think of often is Ozzy Albies, who doesn't really hit righties all that well. And he's somebody who's probably going to go fairly early in drafts. He's definitely overall one of the top second basemen in fantasy. And yet, if he's facing right-handed pitchers as the bulk of his uh, matchups, his numbers so far against second uh, against uh, I'm sorry against uh, right-handed pitchers, they're they're not really that impressive. You're really expecting him to load up on lefties to live up to, to the, the value that you give up for him. I think with Ozzy Albies in particular, he stands out to me as a guy who's so young that you could still see him getting better uh, in, in those splits. I think 
anything that's broken down to sample sizes that small can be a little bit noisy as well. So you got to be kind of careful that you're not reading too much into it. Uh, but the Colorado situation is one that I'm beginning to kind of change my approach with a little bit. In a weekly league where they have a split week, you're kind of screwed because you don't want to give up the home series to miss the road series. So for most of their players, you're probably just going to go ahead and absorb a week like that. In a week where they're away for six or seven games, then you can start to think about it, especially in shallow leagues where your replacement level off your bench is pretty high. And I think we're starting to learn more about why Colorado's hitters struggle so much away from Coors Field. It's not just they're leaving a hitter-friendly environment. It's that the way they see the ball is completely different. So yeah. that's the the challenge that they've had to overcome for years. But we used to just think it was, well, it's extremely hitter-friendly at home, and it's just harder on the road. That's the whole story. But there's a lot more precision to it, and I think that's opened my mind to the possibility of benching some of those higher-end guys who I never would have previously thought about sitting down. Well, in the weekly hitter column that I did last season, uh, there was a week where I recommended Charlie Blackman be sat in some shallower leagues. And, of course, that was like the one week that he just went off on the road. <laughs> so, And I'll tell you, the reason why this is top of mind for me was because I happened to be looking at Victor Robles' splits. And he's somebody who I just generally haven't been as enthusiastic about as other people uh, in, in the fantasy community. Haven't really been able to put my finger on it exactly, but I think at least part of it is that he's one of the worst hitters in the majors, or at least last year, he was one of the worst hitters in the majors in terms of exit velocity, whether it was on airborne, airborne balls or on ground balls. And with somebody who's got Robles' speed, you can certainly live with that because you figure he's going to get his infield hits. You figure he's going to get his stolen bases. But his value is really predicated on a lot more than that. You know, he's not just the the, the rich man's Billy Hamilton. He uh, he hit with some power, but it was overwhelmingly at Nationals Park, which has been trending as a very very hitter friendly place both for doubles and for home runs. And he was better at both of those things at home by a good margin than he was on the road. Uh, his ISO at Nationals Park last year, 213 on the road, not too much more than half of that, 120. So is that something, and maybe you you, you bucket you put him in the same bucket with Ozzy Albies that he's young and maybe 2020 is the year where he evens those things out. But is that something that worries you even in the slightest about Victor Robles? A little bit, but I think where I think Robles can make up for it is that he grades out as a guy with a, a 60 hit tool. And if he's going to bring the K rate down, the OBP probably goes up. You know, he's walked more in the upper levels of the minor leagues than he was walking last season. So the walk rate were to come up a little bit, that gives him a chance to hit higher in the order as well. Uh, I don't think I ever really looked at him as a guy who I expected to be a 25 or a 30 home run player in the big leagues. I think he's more of a, a 15 to 20 home run guy in a typical year. And the rabbit ball brought him there just a little bit earlier than expected. So unless he starts selling out, trying to hit for more power, I like the way his approach has been developing. And I think there's a good chance that he can basically work his way up the order because of his patience and his ability to put more balls in play going forward. Let's uh, you know, take a, a, a look at uh, a piece that's on The Athletic that it's not going to deal with the, the Victor Robleses of fantasy baseball, but... Uh, he's still a young player, but Gene McCaffrey wrote a piece just about the players that are going to be rookies this year, and I just thought this was really cool. Uh, DVR, sometimes I just you know, click on things on the site just to see what our, our fellow writers are up to, 
And I'm almost always just really impressed and, you know, find these things really useful for my own purposes. And that was the case with uh, Gene's latest piece. It's called Rating the Rookies, Auction Values, Player Capsules, and Playing Time Prognostication. The latest one, he's got both an AL and an NL version. Uh, so I suppose it doesn't matter which one is is the more recent one. But uh, I looked at that title, and I think that's really what caused me to click on it because I thought, well, that's awfully ambitious. <laughs> he can't really be doing all that, can he? But he does. Uh, through you know anybody who could conceivably be an impact rookie this year, he gives them an auction value. He writes a nice little like two bear paragraph player capsule with a lot of context and and deals with their playing time. So incredibly useful piece uh, that I would recommend. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off of a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball and 15. And everything that we do is included with a subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be back here again on Thursday. Thursday.